0: As we, um, as we begin this morning, I want you to keep in mind um, these words. These are from King David, from Psalm 19. Keep this in mind as we work through this entire sermon today. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The reason I want you to keep those words in mind this morning as we work through this next section of the book of Leviticus is because I believe that you will be tempted, as I have been, um, to tune this part out. You'll be tempted to think this has no bearing on my life whatsoever. There is no application for this in Christians living in the space age. That's because I think that I think that, practically speaking, a lot of Christians believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and a bunch of it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But not really this stuff. We can read through passages like Leviticus chapters 13, 14, and 15 and come to the conclusion that there is there's very little application for modern American Christians but i hope that you've seen as we've worked through this book over the past few months that this this book the law of god is incredibly rich with application for christians in fact without without understanding this book we can't understand for example why the apostle peter would quote from leviticus chapter 11 in his letter to his first letter, 1 Peter 1, when he says in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, in Leviticus 11, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So as we work through this section of the Bible, sometimes this is called the the holiness code for the nation of Israel. As we work through this, we acknowledge that we are I want to acknowledge this morning, we are very much in the deep end of the law. Um, And as such, because we are there, it's important to remember the big picture of what's going on. These laws are specifically building toward, in fact, chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. That one day of the year where the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies with an atoning sacrifice for all of the sins of all of the people. And it is the day of atonement that explicitly points directly to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, and to His death on the cross to atone for His people's sins. So these laws are given in anticipation of atonement. So we could say it like this in order for the gospel to make any sense to people they must first understand that they need the gospel that they have broken god's law and that they are unholy and unclean and even in the most even in the most personal and private areas of life if you remember these these chapters are the detailed instructions of what the Lord had said specifically to Aaron in chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. The Lord said this, You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. One of the things these these chapters point out is that the people of God were to live as distinct people. They were to be separate from the, from the pagan, idolatrous people of Canaan who were not a part of God's people, not a part of His covenant. And, and last week we defined and made distinctions of the terms holy and common and clean and unclean. And the one distinction I want to point out this morning, I don't want to rehash all of that, but the one distinction I want to point out this morning is that to be considered ceremonially unclean, according to the law, did not necessarily mean that the person had sinned. And the, what I believe is the most clear example of this for us was the fact that new mothers were considered unclean for a period of time after giving birth and must bring a purification offering. Here again is what I said about that last week. This is what I said. The pain of childbirth is to remind every mother and every dad standing there holding her hand that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so this purification process was God's gracious legal requirement for the people of Israel The sin offering was a purification offering designed to remind them that, yes, they're still under the curse, but God covers their sins, and one day, O Israel, He will send His Son to permanently take away your sins, to permanently atone for them on the cross. So for the people of Israel, to be considered unclean is sometimes the result of sin, but it is also the result of living a normal life in the midst of a sin-filled world. And so distinguishing between the clean and the unclean, the common and the holy was important because all people, whether ancient Israelite or modern Christian, we live here under the curse of the sin, under the curse of sin. This means that we'll get sick. And some of us will get seriously sick. And maybe, maybe that will be because of your own sin. But more often, it will be just because sin is running rampant in the world. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, "...just as sin came into the world through one man and death..." through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, the Scriptures hold out the promise of, of, a, of a new creation in which death and the things that lead to death, including disease and decay, they no longer exist, and until then, Romans chapter 8 tells us that this world groans, all of creation groans, waiting for redemption. So Leviticus chapters 13 to 15 that we're looking at this morning are, and it's a long section, so get ready. But Leviticus chapters 13 to 15 are a continuation of this theme of the of the requirement of purity and holiness in every area of the physical life. Um, I need to point out that this, this section, 13, 14, and 15. Um, or 13 and 14 specifically, are bracketed um, by issues relating to human reproduction. So there's childbirth that we looked at last week in chapter 12, and then bodily discharges in chapter 15. And all of these things were things that the priests of Israel had to deal with every day because they were charged with protecting God's sanctuary from becoming defiled. Defiled. Now, I realize that I've had kind of a lot of caveats before we've even read any of it this morning, Um, but I want to mention one other thing. I want you to keep in mind that these chapters are much more interested in the required religious rituals than they are in the medical significance of these particular defilements, okay? Okay. This is about the required religious rituals for the people of Israel, not so much about the medical aspect, although there is some application you'll see as we go. So yes, these things are diseases and disorders, of course, and there is likely some medical application, but what we are about to read is focused on the ritual impurities that must be corrected before the people may come near to the Holy God. In other words, I'm still not an epidemiologist. I haven't been for several years now. Study of sickness and disease or something. Here's the problem presented by Leviticus chapters 13, 14, and 15. Disease, decay, and discharge are incompatible with the holiness of God. Let's start with the first one. Disease is incompatible with the holiness, the holy presence of God. This is chapter 13, it's really verses 1 through 46, but I want to break this down into parts as we read it. In fact, I would say that verses 1 to 44 is the diagnosis, and then verses 45 and 46 is the resulting sort of mandatory isolation for the people. So there is, in verses 1 to 44, there's actually a detailed description of skin diseases that must be attended to in order for the Israelite to come to worship, okay? So let's let's read through this, but we're going to read it in, in parts. So verses 1 to 8, this deals with minor rashes, swelling, and spots. Remember, this is the Word of God. So Leviticus 13, verses 1 through 8 says this. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair on the diseased area is turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white on the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair has not turned uh, in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease is checked and the uh, disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. And the priest... "...shall examine him again on the seventh day, and if the diseased area has faded, and the d- disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, it is only an eruption, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin, after he has shown himself to the priest for, uh, for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest, and the priest shall look. And if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean, it is a leprous disease." Now, just to get this out of the way, um, the term leprosy was kind of a, a bulk term for a variety of skin diseases. Let's keep going. Verses 9 to 17 addresses some, some chronic or long-lasting or maybe recurring skin diseases. Verse 9, when a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall look. And if there's a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and there's raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. And he shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of the diseased person from head to foot, so as far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease... "...has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It has all turned white, he is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. But if the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And if the disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean." Verses 18 to 23, um, this section is about diseases or infections that occur in scars. You're going to tell your friends about this sermon for a long time. I'll just tell you that. (laughs) Verse 18 to 23, if there is in in the skin of one's body a boil and it heals, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a reddish uh, white spot, then it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall look, and if it appears deeper than the skin, and its hair is turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease that has broken out in the boil. If the priest examines it, and there is no white hair in it, and is not deeper than the skin, but has faded, then the priest shall shut him up for seven days. And if it spreads in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, and the Uh, it is the scar of the boil and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Now the next section, verses 24 to 28, is about infections that develop in a case of uh, a burn. So verse 24. When the body has a burn on its skin and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a spot, reddish, white, or white, the priest shall examine it. And if the hair on the spot is turned white and it appears deeper than the skin, then it is a leprous disease. It is broken out um, in the Burn, And the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the priest examines it, and there is no white hair in the spot, and is no deeper than the skin, but has faded, the priest shall shut him up seven days. And the priest shall examine him uh, the seventh day. If it is spreading in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease." But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread in the skin, but is faded, it is a swelling from the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is a scar of the burn. Okay, verses 29 to 37 there are some issues related to the scalp and under beards. Verse 29 When a man or woman has a disease on the head or the beard, the priest shall examine the disease. And if it appears deeper than the skin and the hair in it is yellow and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard. And if the priest examines the itching disease and it appears no deeper than the skin and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch has not spread and there is in it no yellow hair and the itch appears to be no deeper than the skin, then he shall shave himself. But the itch shall not, uh, he shall not shave, and the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the itch, and if the itch has not spread in the skin, and it appears to be no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after its cleansing, then the priest shall examine him, and if the itch has spread in the skin, the priest shall not seek for the yellow hair, he is unclean. But if in his eyes the itch is unchanged and the black hair is grown in it, uh, grown in it, and the itch is healed and he is clean, and the priests shall pronounce him clean. <sighs> Verses 38 and 39. The law here even addresses um, uh, false alarms. Verse 38. When a man or woman has spots on the skin of the body, white spots, the priest shall look, and if the spots of the skin of the body are of a dull white, it is a leukoderma that has broken out in the skin, he is clean. And then finally, everyone's favorite, baldness, verse 40, if a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead, he is clean. If there is uh, on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish white diseased area, it is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or on his bald forehead, and the priest shall examine him. And, the, and if the diseased swelling is reddish white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of a leprous disease on the skin of his body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean, his disease is on his head. So, That is the diagnosis or the guide for diagnosis, so to speak. Now, other portions of Scripture, um, they have a good deal to say about these various impurities that we just read about. But this is about, remember, ritual impurity and not medical care. However, having said that, the Bible does mention that sometimes these ailments are punishments from God. For example, in Numbers chapter 12, Moses and Aaron's own sister, Miriam, was punished or at least temporarily punished with leprosy. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, King Uzziah was struck by the Lord with leprosy on his forehead. And he had to be isolated and he remained a leper until his death. Here's the point of all of this. All disease and sickness is an advance toward death, no matter how minor it even might appear to be. It's proof of the corruption of the world and evidence of the fall of man. These things are reminders to all of us that sin and death have entered into humanity and that we are only moving toward corruption and not away from it. In fact, this tells us That if we're not careful and even strive to live healthy lives, we can actually do things that serve to bring on death more quickly. This is where the priests come in. They were charged with examination and they were to determine that some of those diseases that we just read about were immediately declared unclean, while others actually required a period of observation. And this is how the Lord... Um, graciously preserved the health of the community. So there is, there is some sort of medical or healthy aspect to this application of this. But again, this is about more than just merely the physical health of the nation. Look at verse 45. <coughs> verse 45 and 46 says this, "'The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes "'and let his hair of his head hang loose.'" and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. In order for a creature to come into the presence of the Holy Creator, to enter into the tabernacle, he had to be, he had to be perfect, completely unstained by sin. This means... This means that there there would likely be some who were never in their lives allowed into God's sanctuary. Have you ever considered that? This means that in ancient Israel, amongst the people of Israel, there are likely some who were were never allowed into God's sanctuary. It's as if they, they belonged to the realm of the dead, verse 46, completely cut off from the sanctuary and even the entire community. Their hope. Their hope was only found in the promises of God. But I also find it really interesting that immediately after Jesus preached on the law and the gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, immediately after, we read this. It's Matthew 8, chapter 1. It says, When he came down from the mountain where he just delivered the Sermon on the Mount, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Follow the law, he says. All of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And so we can come to him this morning and worship him. Even here, us together, even if we have some sort of rash. We can approach the Lord together even if we have some baldness. Even if we are stained by sin. Even if we have the stench of death about us. And even, even in this, even in the law, even in this legal requirement here, the Lord provides restoration through ritual. The Lord provides restoration through the ritual. Turn over to chapter 14. We're going to come back to 13 in a minute. But first, you need to see that the Lord provides for holiness for His people. Chapter 14. So in order to be restored as part of the covenant community and declared clean by the priests, two very elaborate sets of rituals had to be followed. So first, for the restoration to the community... Look at verses one to eight. So Leviticus 14:1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, "This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out from the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of leprous disease is healed and the leprous person in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed, two live birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. Then he shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop, and dip them. And uh, let's see. And dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Verse seven. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go in an open field. And he who is uh, to be cleansed cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. So the worshiper essentially brings two birds. One is killed, which was the fate of the worshiper had God not spared him. And the other is dipped in blood and also in, in fresh or living water. And then some of this was was used to sprinkle on the person to sanctify him, and then the bird is released. The disease has been removed. Now, keep that imagery in your mind because that's going to come up again in chapter 16 next week. Just hold on to that. Verse 9. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all the hair from his head, his beard, his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and he shall wash his clothes, bathe his body in water, and he shall be saved. Clean. Point is, he's clean, and everyone would know it. Who's the bald guy with no eyebrows? Everyone would know it. But now, he also needs atonement. Verse 10. On the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb a year old without blemish, and a grain offering, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And The priest who cleansed him shall set the man who is to be cleansed in these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the priest shall take one of the male lambs and one, uh, one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with the log of oil and wave them before a wave offering before the Lord, and he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary, for the guilt offering like the sin offering belongs to the priest; it is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put on uh, the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is Uh, to be cleansed in the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. The priest... Uh, And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for him, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering and a log of oil, and also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whatever he can afford. One shall be for a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day, he shall bring them before, uh, for his cleansing, to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the burnt offering or the guilt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of his right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot and the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand and shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand 7 times before the lord and the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the right uh, on the thumb of his right hand on the big toe of his right foot and the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put and the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall offer of the turtle doves or pigeons whichever he can afford one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering along with a grain offering and the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is being cleansed this is the law for him in whom is a case of leprous disease who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing now now this particular uh, sacrificial ritual, you may have noticed, maybe it rings a bell, very similar to others that we've seen before in, in earlier chapters in Leviticus, particularly for the consecration of the priests to the ministry. Uh, chapter 8, think of the, the lobe and the thumb and the big toe. So we understand that this, ritually, this means essentially that the, this recently healed and ritually cleansed person, this is what is happening here in chapter 14, they're now set apart anew to God, and He is also enabled once again to enter into His courts with thanksgiving. Oh, don't miss this. While these things, as I've said, are not primarily concerned with the medical condition, Underneath all of this, underneath all of this ritual, is an actual physical healing. In Exodus chapter 15, the Lord refers to himself as the Lord, your healer. And in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, he says this. He says, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. And yet sin still stains and destroys everything we touch. It only brings decay and death. And so we are dependent upon the Lord. Decay is incompatible With the holy presence of God not only is disease incompatible but so is decay turn back now to chapter 13 verse 47 when there is a case of leprous disease in a garment whether a woolen or linen garment in warp or woof of linen or wool or, in a skin or of anything made of skin, the if the disease is greenish or reddish in the garment, or if the skin or in the warp or in the woof is in, uh, in any article made of skin it is a case of leprous disease, and it shall be shown to the priest and the priest shall examine the disease and shut up that which has the disease for seven days. then he shall examine the disease on the seventh day if the disease has spread in the garment in the, in the warp or woof or, or in the skin whether uh, be the use of the skin, the disease is persistent leprous disease, it is unclean, and he shall burn the garment, or the warp, warp, or the woof, and the wool, of the, or the linen, or any article made of skin that is diseased, it is a persistent leprous disease, it shall be burned in the fire, and if the priest examines, <clears throat> and if the disease has not spread in the garment, in the warp or the woof, or any article made of skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the disease, and he shall shut it up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine the diseased thing after it has been washed. And if the appearance of the diseased area has not changed, uh, though the disease has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in the fire, whether the rot is on the back or on the front. But if the priest examines, and if the diseased area has faded after it has been washed, He shall tear it out of the garment, or the skin, or the warp, or the woof. Uh, Then if it appears again in the garment, in the warp, or the woof, or any article made of skin, it is spreading. You shall burn with fire whatever has the disease. But the garment, or the warp, or the woof, or any article made of skin from which the disease departs when you have washed it, uh, shall then be washed a second time and be clean. This is the law for the case of leprous disease in a garment of wool or linen, whether in the warp or the woof, or in any article made of skin, to determine whether it is clean or unclean. Holiness in Israel was symbolized by being whole and pure. So the sacrificial animal, for example, had to be without blemish. The priest themselves they could not have any defect or deformity even the worshipper was required to be healthy even in appearance even in their clothing understand that that god's presence and any kind of abnormality any kind of uncleanness was completely incompatible and so for the people of israel this section has very two two very simple points first Any mold, mildew, or fungus that shows up on a garment must be properly identified so that it can be corrected. And then secondly, any contamination that spreads must be purged, either by being burned or by being simply cut out. Think about that for a second. Any contamination must be either burned or cut out. Do you hear the connection between this and what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18, verses 7 to 9. Listen to this. Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot... "'causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. "'It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame "'than with two hands or two feet "'to be thrown into the eternal fire. "'And if your eye causes you to sin, "'tear it out and throw it away. "'It is better for you to enter life with one eye "'than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. "'Anything unclean is unacceptable "'and sin infects everything.'" And so what Jesus is saying there is clearly, it's clearly not the gospel. That's the law. Just as mold and mildew will only spread unless it is cut out and destroyed, so it is with sin. We need grace. Or we're all going through life without hands and feet and eyes and holes in our clothes. We need grace. And once again, for the people of Israel... God graciously provides restoration through the ritual of the law. The Lord provides restoration through ritual. Again, we're jumping back and forth a little bit here. But this is Leviticus chapter 14, beginning in verse 33. And there are two distinct sections of this. So, Leviticus chapter 14, verse 33. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I uh, give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, there seems to me uh, to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in and see the house." And he shall examine the disease and if the disease is in the walls of the house uh, with greenish or reddish spots and if it appears to be deeper than the surface then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house for seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look and if the disease has spread in the walls of the house then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which the disease is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around, and the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take in other stones and and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house, after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house, it is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber and all the plaster of the house. He shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. And whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes. And whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. Now, this first section is pretty simple. When they get to the promised land and they take it over from the heathen idolaters, God requires his people to remove the decay from their homes. Now, this could be, this could be decay that was, that was already there from before they moved in or that it had started when it was owned by an Israelite. But either way, it needed to be completely removed. And yet there were cases when the house was so full of decay that it just had to be demolished, destroyed, torn down, and hauled to the landfill. But again, this is, this is not merely external. So the next section is verse 48. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, and the priest shall pronounce the house clean for the disease is healed, and for the cleansing of the house he shall take two small birds with cedarwood and scarlet yarn and hyssop and shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. And he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn, along with the live bird, and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed in the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the fresh water, and with the live bird and with the cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn. He shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. Again, this is the same basic procedure. Or, or ritual uh, for providing atonement for the people who were infected in chapter thirteen, but, but can you see the obvious? I hope this is obvious. Can you see the obvious connection here for us? We must we must keep our homes from being infected. We, we must keep our homes from being infected. Consider consider that the people of Israel, when they finally entered the promised land in the book of Joshua, and they had begun to settle, at the end of Joshua's life, he gathers the nation together. He gathers all the elders and the rulers of the people, and he issues a charge for them, and included in that charge were these famous words. It's Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that our fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We understand that while the, while the Israelites had specific laws they had to follow that dealt, in this case, with rocks and plaster and timber, this is not really about those things. It's not about plaster and rock. Sin is invasive, and any kind of uncleanness separates us frail, finite humans from the incorruptible God. It is only God who can remove the disease, the defilement, the decay from us or from our house. Fathers, do you allow decay in your homes, in your house? As for me and my house, you know know he's not being literal there, right? You, You know that his house is his family, those under his charge, those whom he is charged to protect. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are we allowing decay into our homes? Now, this isn't a call to be Amish. Um, Amish aren't allowed to use most technology newer than the mid to late 1800s. And, it, and yet they will try to convince you um, to have a phone outside where they can use it. Borrow your technology while you pay for it. One of my neighbors recently built a phone booth on the side of his house. And nearly every time I drive by, there's an Amish guy out there using the phone. This isn't about mere externals, right? This is a call to protect your house, protect your family from the sinful influence of the world. This is a call to genuine and true holiness. Even even, even in the most personal areas, which brings us to chapter 15 where we see that not only is disease and decay uh, incompatible with the holy presence of God but so is this discharge discharge is incompatible with the holy presence of God after i read this i'm going to read chapter 15 i'm going to read it in sections like we've done i think you're gonna understand that it's it's probably not necessary for us today to go into much detail on this chapter. But like chapters 13 and 14, this is also the word of God. And he has made certain promises about his word. And so I'm going to read it. And like the others, I'm going to read it in sections. Beginning with, this first section is is about abnormal male discharge. Verses 1 to 15 says this. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for his discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean, and anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which uh, the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. Whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the uh, one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening." And in an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one who, uh, with a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes. He shall bathe his body in fresh water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him uh, before the Lord for his discharge. Now the next section, verses 16 to 18, is actually normal. Okay, This is normal. Verses 16 to 18. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his... A whole body in water and shall be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. Then it moves to women in verse 19 through 24, and these are normal discharges. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything on which also she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, uh, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with her in her menstrual impurity, comes upon him, she, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. And then finally, this is abnormal in women, beginning in verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in her uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything in which she, sh- she sits shall be unclean. As in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches uh, these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge she shall count herself seven days and after that she shall be clean and on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting and the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge again like the others this chapter is focused on things that are incompatible with the holiness of God But one thing I want you to notice, it does not say why. It does not say why. Now, for some things, certain sicknesses, certain disorders, we can understand, right? Kidney stones may be commonplace, but they are not normal. And several of you just said amen in your minds. They're the result of the fall so we can understand why, for the, for the ancient Israelites, the abnormal, as spoken of here, is considered unclean. It isn't necessarily sinful, it's just not the way that it was created to be, because sin defiles and distorts everything. However, We also know that there are certain diseases that are associated with some of the symptoms that we even see in this chapter, many of which are directly connected with sinful activity, namely fornication, adultery, and homosexuality. But this doesn't say why, for example, verse 18 says, must include husbands and wives, and yet also makes them unclean. God had commanded. God had commanded, be fruitful and multiply. And so marital relations are normal and encouraged in places like 1 Corinthians 7 5 and many others. But there are two things that we need to know here as we read through this. First, sin infects every area. Of our lives, even the most personal and intimate. And then, secondly, one area that sin particularly distorts is this area of marital relations. Just before the fall, In fact, the last words of Scripture that we read before we read of the account of of the fall of man into sin is Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, and here it is. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." How many commands, laws, corrections, rebukes, how often does Scripture have to come back to mankind and point out that this area is the one area that man has so quickly and easily distorted because of sin? Romans chapter 1 traces this all out for us. Over and over and over again we read, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. Fathers, are you protecting your homes even when no one is looking? Do, do you know what else, by the way, do you know what else the world has done when it comes to sexual activity? It has integrated it is integrated into its religious practices. So the Greeks, the Greeks had temple prostitutes, And the Methodists are celebrating gay drag preachers. And I'm only picking on them because four or five different articles about different churches were sent to me this week. When it comes to the heathenism of this world, Gloria Steinem, in the 1970s, she said this, If men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. Guess what? Now they're saying that men can get pregnant. Trans, right? Now they're saying that men can get pregnant. Do you see where it's going? Abortion is a sacrament in our society. It's a religious practice. There's nothing new under the sun. God's people according to the law, were to live completely separate from the world around them. Therefore, God is saying very clearly here in chapter 15 that sex or anything associated with sex has to be completely set apart from the holy place. Verse 31 is the key here. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleannesses, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst." He's not saying, he's not, this, the law here is not saying that sex between a husband and a wife is unclean in the, in the sense that it's wrong. That's not what he's saying. That's not what the law is saying, it is to keep anything associated with reproduction separate from worship. Well, this is, I don't know about for you, but this is heavy today. So let me finish with this. All of these laws, all of this serve as constant reminders that the Lord wants His people to be holy in all areas of life. And while the Israelites were to observe these laws ritually, they were also given to remind them that they were to be set apart morally. Jesus calls them out in Matthew chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and selfish indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. This is about, this is about how we live our lives based on our heart and our minds not about outward actions. Ritual cleanness. From the, from the kitchen to the sanctuary. Ritual cleanness was meant to symbolize God's greater requirement of moral cleanness, of moral integrity, of covenant loyalty, loyalty to God. In fact, as the prophets and Jesus himself vigorously pointed out, if, the, if these latter things were lacking, if the morality was lacking, if our hearts were far from him, then ritual cleanness is worthless. If Christians were as curious or as serious about the moral distinctiveness of Israel as about ritual cleanness, Our salt and light may have greater power in the world if we lived set apart, morally speaking. Let me close by praying those words of King David from Psalm 19. I'm going to pray this as you consider all of these things. And we're going to come back. I'm kind of leaving you with the law today, and I understand that. We're going to come back into the gospel next week. So you've got to come back. Leviticus chapter 16. But pray this prayer this week. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, that is our prayer today. That not only would we live lives of purity, But that our minds would be pure, our hearts would be pure, and acceptable in your sight as we conform to the image of Christ. But Father, we are thankful this morning that Jesus healed the sick, that Jesus fulfilled the law that we might approach him. And so, Lord, as we come to the table this morning, we come with hearts rejoicing that though we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we can approach you this morning as your people with hearts of thankfulness. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.